genre. Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez. And it's between us. We just wrapped up Wes Anderson last week with the French Dispatch. Our first uh, we did. new release film. Right. Yeah. yeah. From a certain point of view. From a certain point of view. From our point of view in particular. Yeah. <laughs> um. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I think it was a fun, I think it was a fun miniseries. Um, I really loved revisiting those movies. Oh, yeah. Like I got so much out of rewatching them again. I think pretty much all of them, each of them proved to be a richer film than I, I remembered them being. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much across the board, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Great guests. Yeah. Uh I feel like uh, I had a lot of time. I feel like I felt so much listening to you or, or learned so much listening to you um, going into the the backstories and stuff. Like I didn't know a lot of like the origin story stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it was, it was fun digging into it. And I, and I think that, um, you know, in the future, when uh when, you know as each of his films come out I, i'm you know i'm really excited to be able to re revisit him uh on the show each time you know oh that's uh, right yeah yeah which i don't think we knew this at the time i think when we were recording french dispatch i think we talked about this a little bit about his next film the um asteroid city or something asteroid city right but i don't think we knew i don't know maybe i'll go and edit that episode and be like no we knew and we talked about it i don't remember um there's a little while. There's a little bit of a break between when we're uh, when we're recording this and when we recorded that. But um, Asteroid City wrapped production, and they are already in production on his follow up to Asteroid City. Wow, which we don't know anything about. It's um, fucked up, Wes. Yep, but uh, but yeah, his his DP um, was uh, was talking about it. It's like, oh yeah, we just wrapped on that, and now we're go- moving into production oh. on the next thing. You know, I think I remember this being discussed on the Discord. Yes, and there was some speculation that this could be an animated movie, just because of how tight the turnaround is. That's possible, and if it is, that means we can revisit him again and do the animated right films because yeah. that'll be his third animated film. If that's the definitely, case. yeah, breaking the franchiseography rule. Or, you know, or, or, or unlocking the uh, franchiseography achievement. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think that I, they're just so such charming films. And I do, you know, I I'm flabbergasted at how well constructed the last two movies were. Um, sure. And, and Moonrise Kingdom as well, but especially those last two movies are just like impeccably constructed. 
I'm, right. but man, I do, I would love to see him do another movie like his early stuff. Um, cause I just, that, like, right. You, you mean a movie pre- without like half a dozen framing devices? Yeah. Well, yeah. Or, or just like, I don't know, less models and <laughs> less, less, less of like an elaborate thing and more of like, you know, a little more run and gun, like, like his, uh, like Rushmore and, and Royal Tenenbaums, where it's like this kind of like, kind of nice like medium roast oh uh, yeah, you, know, you know yeah it's interesting because i was like i was listening to you and i was thinking like oh what would wes anderson doing like aroma or yeah. uh you know meet the fablemans him going back and maybe telling something very autobiographical but i'm like oh but is that already rushmore and bottle rocket right yeah he's kind of already he's i mean as we discussed um you know he really <laughs> he really dug into his uh into his past for his movies yeah but i see what you mean though like there is such a breathless pace to especially french dispatch that the idea of him slowing down and maybe doing like you know something you know like when when a band goes so big they kind of just do like a guitar album totally totally or like um or like how uh, weird al did that tour where he just was like singing his songs with an acoustic guitar like a stripped down oh wow i didn't know that's amazing yeah yeah he did a tour where he just played his biggest hits but it was just him and there was no costume changes and it wasn't like a big elaborate set it was just like hey i'm just weird al and i'm gonna play these songs you like right because he's such a talented musician on his own totally totally um and and i think you know because we just talked about garden state which you can listen over at the patreon or franchise potential right and in watching sorry, that, sorry everyone looking forward to that lemony snicket episode we changed we yeah. changed gears we explained yeah. it in the in the franchise potential episode we do we do it's a whole, it's a whole thing <laughs> but i think one thing that garden state suffers from in hindsight is a lack of focus mm-hmm. and really made me appreciate just how focused and tight wes anderson's storytelling you know especially with french dispatch like it's so easy yeah. it would be so easy for that movie to fall off the rails and become a mess yeah, but it's so precise, like a Swiss watch, that you just feel like you're on this perfectly constructed ride. Totally, and it's really interesting that that was his major criticism with Bottle Rocket, with that original Bottle Rocket script, and James L. Brooks being like, "What the hell is this? What's the point of any <laughs> of this? You know, we got to cut all of this out." And he's like, "No, absolutely not. That's the movie." And James L. Brooks being like, "No, it isn't. Like, you need to cut this out and focus on stuff. Like, you can't just shoot whatever the hell you want. That's not how you make a movie." It's like spoilers for French Dispatch, but it's like, you know, when Bill Murray, the editor, fishes a, you know, a page out of a trash can, then he's like, this is the best part. Yeah. Like, yeah. sometimes you need that, you know, that mentor voice or something. Yeah. to. And um, now he's, yeah, like you said, now everything he makes is a Swiss watch. And it's like, I can't imagine anything in his movies not being there at this point, you know? Right. Like, or even like the background paintings or like what so everyone's wearing feels so deliberate. Yeah. I don't even know that there are like a lot of deleted scenes on his like yeah. DVDs, you know, like sub like, Oh, this subplot didn't really go anywhere. Yeah. But like it, it would be, I feel like it would be difficult to cut anything because like everything kind of transitions into the next thing and you would have to plan all that out, you know? Yeah. It's not like something that they just like come up with in the edit. You know what I mean? Man, I was listening to an interview where someone was talking about an Anderson set second degree. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I was talking to Robert Yeoman, the DP, and he said, Wes shoots like this. And 
maybe it was Willem Dafoe. Maybe I was watching like a Willem Dafoe video, but like they just kind of. So apparently for the life aquatic stuff, Mm -hmm. Willem Dafoe was like, I would just start coming to set and just to be there. And we knew that day they were going to shoot the, uh, the scene where everyone's doing different hobbies in the ship, the kind of panorama where the ship is cut open, you know? Yeah. The cutaway. Yeah. Yeah. And so they would just be like, Hey, Willem, do you want to be in the, do you want to do this? Do you want this to be your little job? And I was just there. And he was like, it was so collaborative. And I don't know if that continued to be the case going forward, but yeah, I, well, no, I assume it is. I mean, mm-hmm. I would assume so. Cause I think, you know, what you're describing doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't ruin any, any, um, like transitions or like shot mm-hmm. composition or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like, I think he just yeah. knows where and how to be collaborative at appropriate points. and it allows for that collaboration to come through and that because that's the thing his movies are so full of life mm-hmm. and character you know and i yeah, think that comes yeah. from the trust that his actors have and the, the feeling that they have that they are being collaborated with but i think they also it, it, it has to be refreshing from an actor's standpoint to work with a director who is very much that sort of like meat puppet style director of like, Mm -hmm. no, you're going to do what I say exactly as I say it and do it exactly the way I want you to do it. Or the whole movie is going to fall apart. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that's, you have to be in my world, but then to be that kind of director, that style of director, but do it in this very collaborative way. Right. Yeah. It almost, it almost feels contradictory where it's like the freedom to do whatever you want, create whatever character you have, and yet you are a small piece in my elaborate like yeah. diorama and you have right. to be very specific with your move, which is kind of what an actor wants. It's it's a paradox of like, let me do whatever I want, but also be my safety net. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why a director like Edgar Wright does um, so much, spends so much time in uh, pre-production doing rehearsals and right. where it's like, this is the time where we're collaborating you want to change something, let's change it and let's see if it works and like figure that out. And that's where the final draft of the script is written is mm-hmm. in those rehearsals because once they're on set, he's like, no, we just have to do the same thing exactly the same every single time because I have these shots planned to match exactly what you're doing. So we can yeah. no longer make shit up on the fly, you know, like that's not a I- thing we can do anymore. I think and maybe this even goes for all jobs, but I think a person will put up with a lot in terms of frustration or monotony or tedium if they have an assurance that it's going towards something worthwhile. Yeah. Like, yeah. and I think at that point, people just at this point just trust Wes Anderson that whether they've worked on him with worked on him, worked on nine movies with him, or this is their first time working with him. It's like, well, it's Wes Anderson. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, so do we want to get to ranking? Yeah, let's go. Let's go ranking. Um, so, um, as like a cheat though, to just kind of say, because we are, we are only ranking the live action movies that we did episodes on. Right. However, if you would like to be, if you're like, Oh, I wonder what the actual rankings for Nick's Wes Anderson movies are. Uh, there are bookended fantastic. Mr. Fox is number one. And Isle of dogs is at the bottom. Interesting. But and that but that is without revisiting them. That's very true. Yeah. So that's worth pointing out. 
Um, I don't know where my animated ones would be. Um, I would say I've seen Fantastic Mr. Fox like within the last five years and Isle of Dogs within the last like two or three years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure where my, I'm not sure where that would be. Um, so I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark and say that our number eights are probably both bottle rocket, right? Uh, incorrect. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Um, so do, do you want to start though with your, your, your number eight bottle rocket? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely bottle rocket for me. Um, mm-hmm. for sure. What, what is yours? So, so was it more of a, so my number, so, cause so this is just in terms of like, uh, personal, like what Wes, each Wes Anderson movie meant to me re- revisiting it. This yeah. Time. So in no means is it quality. Cause I don't think there's a poorly directed movie in, in this whole list. Sure. Um, but my number eight is Rushmore. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, um, interesting. So any particular reason why Bottle Rocket is is uh, at the bottom? Um, I I think that the um, I don't know. I feel like it slogs every once in a while. There's like mm-hmm. there's lulls. Um, for sure. That I don't love. I really I don't love their buddy, the third guy. <laughs> um, um, I don't think he he reminds me a little too much of um of uh, Dante. Bob. Yeah. He, yeah, Bob. He reminds me too much of like Dante from Clerks. Um I'm not even supposed is, to be here today. Yeah, which is just not a character I'm into. Let uh, me be in the gang. I want to be in the gang. He's like yeah, he's just like I don't know. That that type of character just like I you know, really rubs me the wrong way. So I'm kind of glad <laughs> that he never came back, unfortunately. Um and I I find I really like the beginning of the movie and then I like specifically the stuff with uh what's her name in the hotel but a lot of the other stuff i find very boring Mm -hmm. um and then i like you know the heist at the end but but then and then not even then the heist happens and then there's like a whole other like section of the movie after that right right Um, right right. i don't know it's it's uh yeah it's just a little yeah it's just not as he hasn't learned how to make a whole movie fun yet, I don't think. And so um, sure. that's why it's it, bottom of the list for me. It's like him finding his footing and finding yeah. out like how to tell a story and how to edit, right. you know, edit together. Right, right, right. Uh, so my number eight is Rushmore because I think just in terms of it. So I remember like I don't think I've ever watched this at the right time. Mm, where sure. maybe maybe if I had watched it when I was a little younger or, or conversely, if I was like maybe closer to your age where it hit me when I was like in high school, but yeah. it, I just never felt like it was like, I felt never felt directly connected to it, which mm. is weird because like, as we talked about, I, I, you know, teenage Nick and teenage Max Fisher are not dissimilar as we found out. Yeah. But I think I found much of my rewatch like appreciating it and being like, wow, this is so crazy. This is and look where it all came from. But I don't I didn't like uh, I did find myself like, wow, like, I don't know, being moved by it the way I would go on to for a lot of the movies in the series, surprisingly. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, for me, that final shot in Rushmore just like, oh, man. Oh, it's great. So, yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Um, OK, so my. Next one is uh, Darjeeling Limited. Um, okay, coming in, coming in at seven. Um, you know, I I really, I really enjoyed it this time. But I think that 
you know, I, I was like waffling back and forth between this and what my number six is in terms of like where, which is at six and which is at seven. And I think that Darjeeling limited is like a whole package, but mm. the highs of my number six are much higher than the highs in, in Darjeeling limited. So like, that's okay. why it's at number seven for me, but like, I still loved revisiting it. Um, I think it's, mm-hmm. I think it's a great movie. Um, but yeah, there are definitely, despite how short it is, there are still a couple of lulls there. Um, sure. Not, it's an ambling movie. Yeah. I'm not overly fond of the section where they, they visit their mom. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know that, that's a bummer. Section is, sure. Yeah. It, it, it's definitely a bummer and it, and it, I don't know. It's a little slow, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it's um, like, at what point, like, is this something that we are interested in seeing them turtle together? Right. Right. And as we talked about in the episode, I don't think all of the characters have full character arcs mm-hmm. um, where like, we don't get to know a lot about, uh, uh, about uh, Jason Schwartzman's character, especially if we hadn't watched the short film, like, we would just yeah. be like, why the hell is Natalie Portman here? What is, who is she? Yeah. Oh, it's Natalie um, Portman. Yeah. From Garden so. State. <laughs> From Garden State. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, what is yours? Uh, so my number seven is Rushmore. I, uh, I, Wait, I, Rushmore? I th- or I'm sorry. My number seven is Bottle Rocket. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, because your, your whole list is Rushmore. <laughs> Rushmore. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, because I think a lot of what you said is valid where it is kind of him finding his footing and it's not as like perfectly constructed as his movies would go on to be. Yeah. And I think the jump from even the jump from Bottle Rocket to Rushmore is pretty nuts. But yes. um, just revisiting it this time, I was just so impressed by what was already there mm-hmm. and how much world building and how much character he was able to communicate just with his very the limited resources that he had. and. It's so it's funny in a way that no other Wes Anderson movie would go on to be funny. And it's like it just operates on such a different level. I had so much fun watching it. I think both Wilsons are great. And like, yeah, I just I think I was just really surprised by how hard it hit me rewatching it that I just like I was surprised by it. And so I put it a little higher than Rushmore because I was kind of like, yeah, that's Rushmore. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, All right. So my number six is Life Aquatic. It has mm-hmm. its issues. Um, you know, I don't I don't love the movie the way that I used to. Uh, but I think that when it's firing on all cylinders, it's like a tough one to beat. Um, in terms of like, oh man, like this movie's really affecting me. Like I, I love this. Mm-hmm. Um but the lows are pretty low, I'd say. So uh yeah, so that's where I'm at with Life Aquatic. I think it's really funny. It might be his funniest movie, maybe. Um, in terms of just like I don't know. It's like this it's this interesting transitional film where he, you can feel him starting to move toward that Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest style of filmmaking and away yeah. from the Rushmore bottle rocket style. Um, but it's, it's sort of a merging of the two things. Um, yeah. I would say that both aquatic and Darjeeling are sort of the casualty of his, emer- the kind of growing pains of like, yeah. From, you know, who he is now and who he was in like in this first phase. Totally. Uh, so you? my number six is also life aquatic. Oh, okay. There we go. I knew we'd I, meet up somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. I think this is his funniest movie. And like, 
so much of what is like works perfectly about this movie is the comedy mm-hmm. and like there I found so many jokes and stuff to love revisiting at this time and there's just so much happening on the screen mm-hmm. and like you said earlier like there is just so much love in this movie mm-hmm. um however i think a lot of what you said about bottle rocket and darjeeling about it kind of having lulls i yeah. kind of find in this movie totally um, in, in particular the ending i just kind of feel like it doesn't know what it's trying to say with that mm-hmm. ending or at least i didn't pick it up it just feels like jostling for the sake of being jostled mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but like yeah like iconic stuff and like you know maybe my favorite willem dafoe performance yeah yeah to me i feel like the ending is is sort of like a uh, uh i guess teaching him a lesson about the shark you know and it's mm-hmm. the reason why he ultimately lets the shark go it's just like oh yeah sometimes bad shit just happens and yeah that's no one's fault and i can't blame the shark that he's just doing what he was doing what he was made to do yeah you know it's friend yeah yeah i actually really love that i was i was that's weird because that is the ending you're right i was thinking about the ned stuff Right. And so like Ned getting killed is right. like making it click, I feel like, for Steve Zizou that sure. like, oh, this isn't any different than when I lost my friend. Right. This is just and like... what I I can't punch the helicopter. You know, yeah, like I yeah. yeah, like I can't murder the helicopter. So why would I murder the shark? It's yeah, the same it's... thing. It's just an accident. It just happened. Yeah, you know, there's all kinds of movies about like you know, man boys or whatever stunt arrested development men finally growing up a little bit. And this is actually one of the more emotionally resonant of those. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's because that is, that is a lesson that a man kind of, or a person comes into as they reach middle age. It's like, Oh yeah, I'm just a dust in the wind. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Woof. Uh, (laughs) My number five is the French dispatch. Um, and it's my number five, not because like I, I, I need to sit with it more. I think I, I, I didn't want, you know, to like rank it much higher than this because it's like that recency bias kind of thing. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's, I mean, we're, we're now at the point where it's just like all of these are centimeters apart, you know, like they're, for they're sure. basically all tied for first, the rest of these movies. Right, um, right. Yeah, uh, French Dispatch is uh, gorgeous and um, impeccably constructed, and I'm Mm -hmm. really looking forward to revisiting it down the line and seeing if it bumps up my ranking uh, anywhere. But um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at with it, where I'm just like, I can't justify it going ahead of my next movie uh, because of, yeah, it just came out. Yeah, because it just came out, and it's just like all the rest of these I've I've had with me for a while, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and so uh, so yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at with that. Um, it's f- fucking phenomenal movie though. Yeah, no, uh, uh, my number five is the French Dispatch. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, very kind of what you said. Uh, I think what it is for me is because it's a it's a collection of short stories so much mm-hmm. that it's. It's like I don't – you don't have the opportunity to get to know the characters in these other movies as well as we do the characters in The French Dispatch. Sure. But yeah, like a delight to watch and like so many characters to love. Like I mean Jeffrey Wright is incredible in this. Yeah. Uh, Tilda Swinton. There's – yeah. And like – and you know just his mastery of the craft at this point, how he's just juggling from like medium to medium, framing device to framing device. You know. Yeah. It's it, – it was – 
It was, it was great. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, number four is Rushmore for me. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just personally means a lot to me. It yeah. is, it's very nostalgic in that way to me. Um, and I just feel a kinship with, uh, with Jason Schwartzman's character with Max mm-hmm. Fisher, um, in, in just like, you know, the way that he just gathers these people and, and, uh, convinces them to put on a show. Um, I hope that I'm never as much of an asshole as he is <laughs> about, about these things. Um, especially in the moment, because afterward he always seems grateful, you know, once it's yeah. over. It's just like in the moment he is kind of a dick. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So And that's another kind of a miracle of a performance where kind of like Steve Zizu, that trope would go on to happen so much of like he's an asshole, but we put up with him, but you believe it so much in Rushmore. It, yeah. It doesn't feel hackneyed at all. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I just I love it. I love his relationship with uh with Bill Murray and um I think that the the teacher stuff has aged better than I think I in my memory of it would have. Like I thought, okay. like, oh, this is yeah. gonna age poorly, but then we watched it and I was like, Oh, actually, no. Like she never she mm-hmm. she's always in control of the situation, like a hundred percent of the time. And so like the movie never disrespects her in any way. And so um I I really liked that she continuously puts both of these idiots in their place. Um, and rightfully so. Right. It's not as like wish fulfillment D or right. like, yeah, as the on paper, it might be in danger of seeming. Totally. Totally. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I really love Rushmore. What's your number four? My number, f- wait, eight, four, seven, six, five. Yeah. My number four is uh moonrise kingdom. Okay. Yeah. Um, just, yeah. Like just so. I mean, we talked about it in the review, but it's just his lightest movie in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But also, it's just so well made that I just feel like kind of like, you know, it, it it was cool watching this after coming out of Fantastic Mr. Fox because he's similarly in control where just everything feels so deliberate. Um, I love every character in this movie. I love all the Boy Scouts. I love the townspeople. <laughs> and it's just, it's so short and you just get to the end of it and it feels like you just started it five minutes ago, but your heart is so full. Yeah. And, and yeah. So like you, this was one that was really rewarding upon rewatching it. Yeah. Um, Moonrise Kingdom is my number three. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. It's yeah. All the things that you said, I mean, it's, it's really, <laughs> it's really incredible. The the coming of age, the, the, the way the love story is, is treated um, with, you know, such earnestness. And, uh, I think it might be my favorite, uh, my favorite version of the fake it till you make it trope that is in all of his films. I think my favorite version of it is in this movie, Mm -hmm. um, of just like them pretending to be adults, you know? Right. Yeah. (laughs) To hide the, the childhood pain. Yeah. I just, I, uh, I really, I really, Love that. And I think it's a gorgeous looking movie. I think it's so impressive how cheap it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. So and, you know, also, I, fantastic. you know, because we talked a lot about the uh, the criticism or the, you know, the SNL version of Wes Anderson, where it's like no one ever 
it's all artifice or like, you know, everyone's always so morose and expressionless. And like you watch Moonrise Kingdom and like, like you said, like the courtship of those two kids is just so like human and honest. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, oh, where does, where does this reputation come from? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that last scene with him in the island police uniform. Yeah. You know, and he's like, he's got his adopted dad. It's just, it's so good. It's really good. Bruce Willis. Yeah. Maybe the last good Bruce Willis. Yeah, I think we talked about that in the episode that mm-hmm. he might be the last truly good Bruce Willis, even if I think he's good in glass, even if the movie is like sure. so so. Yeah, and um, yeah, he's definitely locked in at least in glass. <laughs> he's not he's not like reaching for his keys on camera. You're right, right. <laughs> Looking at his watch between uh, lines. God yeah. damn it! Yeah, <laughs> great screened in. Yeah, what's your three? Uh, my number three is the Darjeeling Limited. Okay. Yeah. I was like really expecting this to not hold up well. And I just think it's just operating on a lot of levels that I really appreciate. And I just think um, it's story of like the broken family and the brothers finding each other and how bad they are talking to each other. Yeah. I just was really swept away by all that. And like, I think all three performances, like their chemistry together is so beautiful. Yeah. And like funny and just kind of like them just being assholes. Cause that's like, like, you know, and to me, the movie is so aware of like, these are just three obnoxious American dicks. Yes. <laughs> They're just bumbling their way through trying to make a spiritual journey happen. Yes. And accidentally having one, but it's very different than what they wanted. Um, And yeah. And then like the production design is just like on another level. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so what is your number two? So- my number two is uh, Royal Tenenbaums. Great. Uh, it's uh, flawless. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's flawless. It's just not nearly as impressive as what my number one is. But it's flawless. Um, sure. I think he's made two absolutely flawless movies. And I think this is one of them. And my number one is the other one. Um, but uh, I, I just, I love this to pieces. And I could watch mm-hmm. it right now. Um, and I don't, I can't say that with a lot of movies. Um, but the world Tenenbaums is definitely one of those ones that you just, you love every character and every character has a complete arc of complete mm-hmm. beginning, middle and end, which is very impressive and doesn't happen with all of his films. Yeah. Um, but with this one, it's just like, I just, you know, I leave this movie ends with them walking out of that cemetery and I'm just gobsmacked every time just right totally yeah, yeah, yeah. gobsmacked um and uh it's just um man what a just what a movie i mean i don't even know what else to say i mean just like every, like just the, everything about like the family and the the you know what it means to be like a patriarch um mm-hmm. and uh what it means to be a father and <laughs> uh you know I, it, it's, it's, and, and what it means to be family in, in, um, you know, in several ways and the complications of that. And, um, it's, oh God, just what a phenomenal movie. What's your number two? No, absolutely. Uh, so my number two is Grand Budapest Hotel. Ah. Uh, like, like Scott said, the other one. Yep. And, you know, it's, it's just like, you know, it's a miracle, like rewatching it. It's. Like you said, it has no business being as cheap as it is, uh-huh. but being epic in scope. And it's yeah. 
him just fully operating at, you know, he's creating a world, he's creating nations with histories, but it's still funny and seems effortless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like the performances are so beautiful, but it's like, again, like really funny. And Ray Fiennes is like hilarious, but also like a full person that you felt like was really alive. Yeah. And yeah. And it's like telling such a beautiful story about like immigrants and finding a home and how fragile society and civility are and how they're worth fighting and dying for. Yes. And it just feels like it's his most honest movie. Yes. Even though it's like so big and like a, you know, like, like a church almost. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's my number one and it's, and, and yeah, it's not just, I, it feels like a movie about Wes Anderson explaining his whole vibe. Where he's yeah, like, yeah. where he's like, no, it's not just that it's fancy. Mm-hmm. It's what that represents. And like, yeah. if you know me, I am not pretentious. I'm just a guy from Texas. But I like all of this stuff because of what it means about society if done correctly. And it's the reason why I feed my crews with a Michelin star chef. It's why I do these things because civility is something that you share. It's something that you do. It's an action that you take. And all of that means so much to him, obviously. I mean, you go through his whole filmography of like everything is like a little team that goes Mm -hmm. through the ebbs and flows, whether it's a family or Boy Scouts or a film crew on a submarine, you know, or like a boat. Or or a bunch of animals living under a tree. Totally. Have to become a community. (laughs) Totally. But yeah, and that's the thing is like, it's all about like civility. And, and, you know, treating people with kindness and that respect isn't, you know, no one deserves, like everyone deserves respect as the standard. You don't, it's not something you should have to earn. And the fact that like, we live in this society where everyone is like, well, you haven't earned my respect yet. So fuck you is, (laughs) is bullshit. And that's like the whole point of this movie is like, no, that's bullshit. We shouldn't live like that. That is not how the world should be. That is not the standard that we should be living at. Like no one should earn your respect. That should be a guarantee. People should lose your respect because they're assholes, because they treat people badly. But Mm -hmm. you should come into every situation, every stranger that you meet and treat them with kindness and respect and civility. And that's what this movie is about. And it's amazing. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And like even the concept of the hotel where like there's a part where F. Murray Abraham is like, yeah, we used to have these big, luscious, comfy seats and these big, but they thought it's too gaudy. It's too pretentious, but it's like, no, it's meant to be inviting and life should be comfortable. And, and warm and, and like dignified. And you shouldn't have to like be meant made to live like an animal or like you're less than or dirty because of where you came from or what your social status is. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I just, it's what a, what a great movie. And then obviously (laughs) you're number one. (laughs) Yeah. My number one, my number one is the Royal Tannenbaums uh, for all the reasons Scott said. And I think just the only reason that this one supersedes is because it is such a personal story. And it's, themes of family resonate with me just so strongly it's it's an emotional movie to even think about yeah uh to be honest and like it was an emotional episode to record and like it's like you said each family member is so specific 
that yeah. every time you watch that movie, your heart breaks like seven different ways because yeah. like these yeah. characters are, they love each other so much, but they're so bad at communicating it. Yeah. And like, yeah, like what a, what a collection of performances. Yeah. Uh, God, yeah. It's a, I just, please. I want Ben Stiller back in a Wes Anderson joint at some point. Yeah, that's I really, bummer. I really want, um, I really want Luke Wilson back in a movie, movie again. Right. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I can't believe he hasn't returned ever. Like, what happened? It's interesting. Um, it is where you can't help but speculate because the every everyone comes back so often, right? That it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb when it's like, oh yeah. wow, they never. But yeah, yeah, like this this is probably Ben Stiller's best performance, Luke Wilson's best performance. Oh, it's kind of the end of phase one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Of like, we are now leaving reality. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or at the very least, we're going to be dipping in and out of reality in the future. And that before we leave it entirely. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Because Grand Budapest, it's almost like the most beautiful live action Rankin Bass cartoon you've ever seen. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. That's good. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, uh, if, if, like you said, they're like, like, you know, millimeters apart. It really just comes down to like what moves you more personally or what you find mm -hmm. more out of. And, and yeah, for me personally, it was Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I just, I, it's, it's, his filmography is really incredible because like, I, I really do think like once you get past like the last couple, um, <laughs> You know, it's like everything is just like, well, I mean, these are all incredible, you know, right, and even yeah. the last couple aren't that far away from the others. You know what I mean? No, um, no. And and I feel like someone could easily like Rushmore is their number one or totally, you know, life. Aquatic I think Moonrise Kingdom is a lot of people's number one. Right. So, Absolutely. Um, you know, when that episode came out, people were like best, best Anderson. You know? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of, lot of, lot of tweet responses to that one where they're just like, "Oh, this is the best one." Um, it's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of people's favorites. It was really cool covering a filmography as opposed to strictly speaking a franchise. Yeah, because it felt like we got to go much more personal and really look at someone's artistic life as opposed to like, which is I love I love doing this, but like you know, a series of corporate decisions and mistakes and stuff. Sure, but what's funny is we did that twice in a row, technically, because Spy Kids was basically that. It was like a mini right. version of that. Yeah, he like walled <laughs> himself away from Hollywood. Yeah. To where um, no one was like, oh, Carmen should have like a twin or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, man. But yeah, it, was so, a, it, was a good, it was a good franchise. Um, now, if you may remember, in our Between Episode from... Uh, the Spy Kids. We announced what our next, our mini series following Wes Anderson was going to be. We said it was The Matrix. Mm. The Matrix is still coming, but we had to put it on ice due to like holidays and scheduling and yeah. all of this. Um, and I need a break because I'm leading the 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 research on on The Matrix. Twilight. Um, on The Matrix. Yep. And then yeah. Nick, <laughs> Nick just, <laughs> I just said it. Yeah, you just said it. Uh, Nick was like, well, we'll just do mine, my next one, um, which was going to follow The Matrix. We'll just get that done. So then we have it. And then we're just like, oh, yeah, that's great. Then we could like take a break in the recording and et cetera, et cetera. Then The Matrix stuff didn't happen. So we have to pull his forward. And so our next miniseries is Twilight. 
Yes. We've already recorded it. Yes. It's done. We it's all done. And we were gonna drop it in like February yeah. and blow your minds, but we're just gonna have to do it a little a little earlier. Um yeah. I am so pumped about this series. Um I did more research than any season of the show. <laughs> more yeah, than you ex- almost did a ludicrous amount of research. That's right. Uh, we, we good. We go into but you it. Talked first- yourself, yeah, you talked yourself out of it, and I'm glad that you did. <laughs> yeah. Uh I almost yeah, I almost read all the books as well. Yeah. Oh, you're but, a maniac. But I didn't. And yeah, the episodes are great. The guests are great. Um the episodes are fantastic i'm editing them right now and i am loving revisiting those episodes oh Uh, great yeah they are really really good i think it's a really great miniseries and i highly recommend even if you think you have no interest in twilight i highly recommend listening to these maybe even dry because i think we might convince you to try try them out um i hope if you want to watch if you want to watch along with us i think you'll have a lot of fun because um we if you like this show and you like us, I think that you will get a lot out of these movies and especially paired with our episodes about them. Yeah, I think so too. Because, you know, you, uh, we reach a point, a fork in the road where you're watching them for the first time. Right. Which right. is really fun. It is. Um, it is. <laughs> and then our guests are all first time guests that have never been on the show before. That's not and, true. Oh, oh, that's, Dagny. yeah, that's not. Dagny, yeah. Dag- Dagny hadn't been on. She she's our guest for um Twilight one. for the first one. Um she had been on previously for X2 with Billy. And mm-hmm. now now they've both Billy on Life Aquatic and and she on Twilight. Now they've both been on together and separate. So. Yeah, it's like yeah. Yeah, and it's great because I feel like X-Men was more Billy's territory and right. this time with Twilight we really you know, got to talk about Dagny's like past with the franchise and her history. Oh yeah. Like, books yeah. and stuff and she's like she's a very active guest it was a lot of fun yeah no like i i'll say i i, I said i did so much research for this and yet i feel like every guest that we had on was more informed than i was yeah yeah in a lot of ways like i'm the guest on every episode uh and <laughs> and and nick and and the guest are the two co-hosts in a lot of ways um this season it's a lot of fun it's a really really fun miniseries yeah so. i'm glad it's coming out sooner yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the Matrix will follow right behind that. Um, and so uh, at the end of Twilight, we will announce what's following the Matrix. Um, it's a moody, sexy kind of 2000s goth vibe we got going. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. Um, yeah, we are. We are. Uh, we need to get into like some older franchises that needs to that needs to come around soon. Um Right. You know, it's been kind of 20th, 21st century heavy. Yeah. 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 I think is the oldest movie we've covered Scream 96. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Cause Men in Black's 97. Yeah. Cause I think Bottle Rocket is also 96. Right. Wow. What a weird year. What a weird reoccurring. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we're going to, yeah, we're going to have to go back a little further soon. Um, but uh, not anytime soon. You can see <laughs> it's going to be a little while still because we're we're planned out pretty well. Um, but uh, that's true. Yeah, we've got. So we're going to have. So the plan is we're not going to announce what these things are, but I would love to hear everyone's speculation. I think that would be fun. Um, but the uh, uh, after the Matrix, we have another mini series 
And then following that miniseries, we have our next big summer franchise. Um, right. Like X-Men. It's right. long. It's going to um, take the whole summer. It's going to take the whole summer. I'm really excited about it. Uh, so, it's going to so, be yeah. a big time suck for both of us. Definitely. Definitely. Um, but uh, I think it'll be, uh, it'll be really fun to get di- deep into that world. Um, and then after that will be our next listener pick, which I don't know what that's going to be yet. We, we, we got to do that. We're going to do the Twitter thing. So if you're not following us on Twitter at franchiseography, mm-hmm. follow us on Twitter so that when we do the next, the, we've, we've turned this into an annual thing, I think is what mm-hmm. we're going to do. Cause spy kids um, was, was a listener pick. Yeah. And that was also in like the August area. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think it came out in October actually, but I think we recorded it in August. Um, right. but yeah, so it'll be, it'll be the thing following our, it was the thing following X-Men though, right? Yes. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So it'll be the thing following our summer, our big summer thing this year, um, will be the listener pick. So make sure you follow us at franchiseography. We'll be doing that sometime early next year. We'll be doing that, uh, to figure out what's going to follow that. Um, but uh, I'm excited. I'm excited about what next year holds for franchiseography. I think it's going to be a fun, fun year. We're kicking it off with Twilight. Can't wait. Yeah. With a, with a bang. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so man. the lion fell in with the lamb. Oh, <laughs> uh, It's a really fun miniseries, you guys. I'm excited for you all <laughs> to hear it. Um, I hope you don't skip it because you have, like, strong negative feelings about Twilight. Which, um, yeah, calm down. Yeah. 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 Uh, 2022. Yeah. <laughs> Not yet. We're still a day away. Happy New Year, everyone. All um, right. Happy New Year. Yeah. But uh, anyway, next week, Twilight, Twilight. with Dagny McCartney. With Dagny yeah. McCartney. It's a good one. It's a really good one. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, again, follow us on Twitter because I don't know when we're going to drop that. We'll probably like announce when we're going to do those the voting on the next between episode following twilight okay um, yeah that sounds good yeah so you're really right, gonna cool. like what we talk about after for, for that that's gonna be a good one too the the um, the, the in between episode for twilight or the franchise potential for twilight oh yeah the franchise potential for twilight yeah yeah we announced that on our garden state franchise potential episode that also dropped today on uh on the dueling genre patreon um so check that out if you uh if you aren't a Patreon yet, duelinggenre.com slash support. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's a fun one. Uh, and you get it for as little as $3 a month. Um, plus yeah. like Dueling Genre Tonight and Dueling Genre Versus and all that good stuff. So mm-hmm. Chris talking about Daredevil. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. We've done a few of those, poten- those uh, potentials. Um, I'm bummed out though that we didn't start doing them with Men in Black because we could have done Wild Wild West. Sure. And I'm disappointed that we missed out on the billion scream copycats that we could have oh, right. about. Yeah, we could have done like three. Oh, man. Yeah. I know what um, you did last summer. Yeah. But instead um, we did Super Mario Brothers because I think we weren't. We were thinking more of like launching the, the thing instead of right. doing yeah. it as a parent. And, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that Super Mario's brother episode for the world. No, it was a really good one. <laughs> it was a really good one. Um, anyway, maybe maybe we'll we'll circle back uh, at some point when um, next time we do like a 
horror. Do like a horror franchise or something. Right. We'll circle back to those scream copycats. For sure. Um, anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll, uh, Take it easy. We'll talk to you next week with Twilight. Bye-bye. Happy New Year. Bye.